Hi, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kyleen Foster. I've been a member at FBC for almost six years now. Really, it's just a place where we can Hi, uh, if you don't know me, my name is Kyleen Foster. I've been a member at FBC for almost six years now. Really, it's just a place where we can connect, make friends with each other, uh, learn about each other and about ourselves, and receive prayer if we need it. Uh, we have a great, great base of mentor moms. Mops is really important to me, and uh, I really just want to see it uh, flourish again this year. You know, last year with COVID, uh, we didn't really get to do anything that uh, created connection between us, and we've got um, Friday morning meetings once a month. It doesn't take a lot of your time. It's two hours. We uh, provide childcare. We provide uh, coffee and uh, breakfast and fellowship and prayer and uh, usually a topic somehow based on parenting, motherhood, relationships, or um, something on that level. But if you have a Friday morning once a month available. I would really, really appreciate it if you could step up as a childcare provider for that two hour block of time um, so that you can um, kind of pour into the children that show up. And the first meeting uh, this season is on September 10th at 9.30 in the church parlor. The uh, preschool wing will be open for children. We will also have a homeschool room available for mothers of homeschoolers up till about age 12 and um, we'd appreciate knowing that you're going to show up so we do have a Facebook page it'll be the week after our first meeting and we'll be at the Manchester Rec Center and we'll have pizza and cookies and drinks and chips and all that kind of stuff and the kids can play in the pool free of charge and um, we're just really excited. So if you have any interest in MOPS, if you're thinking about MOPS, if you're considering it, um, then uh, come out and join us and have a good time at the pool. So if you have school-aged children and you're still kind of at home hanging out on Friday mornings, just come out and, and uh, hang out with us instead and uh, enjoy some coffee and fellowship. Hope to see you there. Well, good morning. We're so glad that you're here for us to worship today. We're ready to, uh, to meet God this morning. Will you stand with us and let's sing. There, there is, he is that holy water that we step into, find peace and joy and fulfillment.
forgives us and so his forgiveness is like sweet sweet honey on our lips and so that's the, the God that we're here to worship this morning hopefully you've had a great morning if you're a guest with us we want to just welcome you especially you'll see this little white card there in the pew rack in front of you and uh, if you'll take just a moment to fill that out it's just a way for us to get to know you 
um, you can indicate on here to receive our newsletter. There are lots of different activities going on in the life of the church. You never know when Todd's going to just put on a, some type of a concert. If he does, that'll be in there. And uh, you never know when there's going to be a mission trip available or if there's an outreach ministry that's, that's available. And so everything, all the activities that we do in the life of our church, uh, you can find that in our newsletter. You can find that um, you know, here in your, your worship bulletin this morning. And so you want to make sure you're, we want to just make sure that you're informed about all the things going on in the life of our church. We're excited to be here to worship this morning. And I just want to pray for us as we begin uh, service here and just ask God just to uh, be in charge of these next few minutes and just to change our lives that we're here to surrender to him and acknowledge that he's Lord over our lives. So let's take just a moment to pray. Lord God, uh, this morning we just pause and just focus our attention on you and uh, remove the distractions from this past week. Um, it's August, school's back in, and uh, lots of practices and activities uh, are, are rolling again. And so, Father, I know families are busy. People are always on the move. And so in this next few minutes, God, just remove all those distractions, all the thoughts about uh, the things that... Uh, took place last week, uh, the things that we've got to do this week, and just help us to focus on you. God, we thank you that you're a God that loves us, that you forgive us in the ways that we've messed up, um, that your forgiveness to us is like sweet honey on our lips. And we just pause to say thank you. We don't deserve it, but God, you give us salvation through your son who died on the cross so that we can have new life in you. So as your sons and daughters, let us come here this morning to worship you. Let us be changed by your word. Let us leave here renewed to just live a life that honors you. As we've gathered here this morning, Father, we pray that our, our singing to you, our worship of you um, is pleasing to you. We, we pray, God, uh, for Dr. Cox as he uh, brings message this morning. We pray, Lord, that, that his word uh, changes our hearts and changes our lives. God, we love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, it's time to have a little pep rally here. This place to be happy. Let's stand up and let's sing together. In the river. Come on now, put your hands together.
years of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. He stood beneath the bed we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Come on, sing it, church. Praise the come before you this morning just thanking you for your grace and thanking you for your mercy. Oh Lord, we, uh, we come before you humble before you to say, Lord, thank you. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve your mercy, but you give it to us anyway. And for that, we worship you and we thank you and we glorify you. We praise you this morning. Open our hearts and our ears that we may hear from you on this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning, it's good to see you today. I'm sharing a sermon series through the life of Abraham from Genesis 12 through 25. And the theme of this series is that God is active. And what we want to do is to learn to see the activity of God in our lives by seeing how he was active in Abraham's life. And you might say, well, I don't think God's active in my life. I don't see any evidence of his activity in my life. And I would submit to you that maybe that is because you've not learned to discern God's activity. I think God is active. It's that sometimes we don't know how to recognize his activity. And so my prayer is, as we see how he acts, we'll see that same activity in our lives. We began a couple of weeks ago by seeing that God calls people. He called Abraham to leave the city of Ur and go to a land that he would show him. And I submit to you that God still calls people. So maybe you felt an urge in your life to grow close to God or to serve him. Maybe you felt a restlessness in your life. I would have you just to consider, is that God's activity? Is God doing something in your life and you hadn't really recognized what that was? It could be the call of God to service, to missions, to, to some project that he has for you. Would you consider that? And then we saw the activity of God in Abraham's life uh, that he allowed 
trials to come in order to test and strengthen Abraham's faith. There was a famine in the land. He gets to the land where God had told him to go. He does just what God says, and then there's a famine there. What is that about? Well, you see, you may be having some problems in your life, but you hadn't interpreted that there's a spiritual dimension, that that is the activity of God, that he has allowed that for a spiritual purpose. And if you would learn to see the spiritual purpose in the struggles you're going through and cooperate with God's purposes in those trials. So let's continue that journey through his life and today look for the activity of God again. And again, it may be somewhat hidden. We're going to have to look for it. So we begin in in Genesis chapter 13, verse 1. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him, that's his nephew, and Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. So he'd gone, taken a detour into Egypt, he had disobeyed God, and yet God had promised to protect and bless him, so he did. And so he comes out of there with a great many herds and servants It says, from the Negev, he went up from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord. So he goes back to where he was, and he builds an altar. He'd sort of gotten off track. He gets back to where he's supposed to be, and he worships God. That's a good pattern for us, right? Maybe you've sort of gotten off track. You've messed up. You've failed like Abraham. It's not the end of the world. You know what you need to do? Get back where you belong and worship God again. That's what Abraham did. That's what we ought to do. Now it says in verse 5 and following that Lot and Abraham's, they had a whole bunch of herds and servants and it was getting crowded and they were quarreling. Verse 5, now Lot was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land could not support them while they stayed together for their possessions was so great they were not able to stay together. And quarreling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and the Perizzites are also living in the land at that time. So Abram says, it's probably better we split up. We won't all be concentrated at one oasis, one set of pastures. We can split up. And he said to Lot, um, verse 8, Let's not have any quarreling between you and me, between your herders and mine, for we're close relatives. Is not the whole land before you. Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Abram said, we need to split up, and I'm going to let you have first choice. You can choose where you want to go. So verse 10, Lot looked around and saw that the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan, and set out toward the east. The two men parted company. Abram lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. Let me show you a map that gets a little bit of geographical orientation to this. And so the land of Canaan, the land that God had given uh, to uh, Abraham or would give to his descendants, is everything to the left or west of the Dead Sea. You see the big body of waters, the Dead Sea there, and maybe your eyes are good. You can see Mamre and the the places where Abram had lived there. So he said to Lot, you choose where you want to go. So Lot chooses to go outside the border of Canaan to the land of, around the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah on a fertile plain. Now we don't know exactly where Sodom and Gomorrah were. You may see in red there, Sodom and Gomorrah with a question mark. This is possible sites. It may be that they're where the 
bottom lobe of the Dead Sea is. The upper lobe of the Dead Sea is very deep. The bottom is very shallow. Archaeologists and geologists think it's of recent origin, that it flooded on through. It's less than 20 feet deep. So maybe below that Dead Sea, we're going to get the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in a few weeks. Maybe that's where they were. And this area at the time was a fertile plan. Now it's a wasteland, but uh, it was a fertile plan. So the point is, Lot chose to go outside the borders of Canaan. He had a choice. There was a fertile plain down there, wicked cities. He didn't really choose based upon the impact it would have spiritually on his family, uh, but he chose outwardly, and he chose to sort of abandon the land of Canaan and go outside of it, and uh, that's going to cause a problem later. So back to the text in verse 14, the Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, look around from where you are to the north, to the south, to the east, to the west, all the land you see I'll give to you and your offspring forever. I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. So he repeats this promise you're going to be a great nation. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the dust, the sands of the, of the sea. So Abram went to live near the great tree of Mamre of Hebron, where he pitched his tents, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So Abram and Lot have split up. Let me summarize to you the next chapter, chapter 14. It's got like nine place names and nine kings. It's hard to follow. Let me summarize the first few verses of chapter 14 of Genesis. So there are uh, a coalition of four kings from the north, what would be modern-day Iran and Iraq, and these four kings, each ruling a city, they invade the land uh, around Sodom where uh, Lot has chosen to live. Let me show you another map, and you can get a little geographical orientation here from it. So if you can see the era coming down on the right side of the screen, and here come uh, from north to south these four, uh, this coalition of four kings led by Kedor and Leomar. And they come south and they make a loop. The Bible has all these place names. And then they come back up to this area right at the south of the Dead Sea where Sodom and Gomorrah are. And so there are five kings that oppose them. So we got a battle going on. Four kings from the north, five kings from the south. The kings of the south are the the king of Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, Zeboim, and Zoar, those five cities of the plain where Lot has gone to live. And so the four from the north attack the five from the south, and the four from the north defeat the five from the south. And the Bible says that as they are fleeing, there are asphalt pits or tar pits in that plain. You know, there's still oil there. And apparently in that time, the oil was right up on top of the ground, and it was just asphalt floating in pits of oil. And so there's this... As these armies were fleeing, some of the men fell into those, those tar pits. And so these four kings of the north defeat the coalition from the south, and they carry off all of their possessions and their family for slaves. And in the process, Lot is swept up in this because he has gone to live among those cities. And so he and his family and all of his possessions are taken away as well. And you see the red arrow then going up where those four kings from the north head back home with all the spoils of war that they have gained. Abram is over in the land of Canaan, to the west of all this, right? He's not been involved in this battle to the east, but he hears from one person who escaped 
comes to Abram and tell him that Lot and his family and his possessions have been taken. And Abram must decide what to do. Here's the first war in the Bible. Christians have wrestled with, to know what to do with war. Some Christians are pacifists. They don't believe that war, Christians should ever be involved in war. Our friends, the Mennonites. Mennonites are very similar to Baptists in beliefs. You might not know it because of outward dress, but very similar to us. But here's probably the big difference between Mennonites and Baptists is that Mennonites believe in non-retaliation. They don't fight in wars. They're, they believe in pacifism. And most Baptists, not all, but many Baptists sometimes believe, along with the, most other Christians, that war is always terrible, but sometimes there's a just war. And that sometimes... There are things that we must fight for. And so this is the first example of that as we, if you read through the Bible. Here's the first war, and Abram has to decide. And he decides he's going to get involved to rescue Lot because he has a connection to him. And he chooses 318 men from among his servants who have been trained in battle. And with this small elite strike force, he sets out north. You see the green line going north. Here goes Abram and his 318 men, and they pursue this coalition of four kings who are headed north, doubtless outnumbered, but they catch up with them in Dan. You may see it there on the map, the northern part of the land of Canaan. They finally catch up with them, and at night they do a surprise attack. And Abram, the Bible says here, divides his army into two sections. They attack from two ways. It's a surprise attack. It's at night, and this small force defeats this coalition of four kings, rescues Lot, rescues all the people, gains all the possessions back, chases them as far as Damascus to send them on their way back to Iran and Iraq, and then comes back home with Lot and with all the goods. The king of Sodom comes to meet Abram on his way back down near what is the present city of Jerusalem, then called the city of Salem before David made it his capital and renamed it. So here's where we begin reading again in chapter 14 beginning in verse 17. After Abram returned from defeating Kedor Laomar and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley, which is just south of Jerusalem. So he comes out to meet him. And then, verse 18, Another character appears that we haven't heard from yet in this story, not a part of any of these coalitions, but they're at Salem, or what would be one, Jerusalem. So then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. So Melchizedek, sort of an odd figure here, he's a king and he is also a priest. And he is a worshiper of the one true God like Abram. There aren't many left, but there are always, in the, scattered throughout the world, there are always going to be true worshipers of the one true God. And here's one in the very land of Canaan. This king, this priest of, of, uh, of Salem, it says, is priest of God Most High. We're going to learn a lot of names or titles for God as we go through the story of Abraham. Each name or title reveals a little bit more about his character. And here we learn that one of God's names revealed through Melchizedek is El Elyon. El just means God. Then you add something to it and it gives a descriptor of God. So El Elyon is God Most High. He's priest of God 
most high. Our God that we worship is the most high God. That doesn't mean there are other living gods, but of all the other things that people call gods, he's El Elyon. He's the God most high. And it says in verse 19, And he, that is Melchizedek, blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. The word creator means both creator and owner. El Elyon, God most high, he's reminding Abram, is the one who made everything, and he's the one who owns everything. And he says to him in verse 20, Praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. Here's the activity of God. God sends Melchizedek to Abram to interpret what has happened and to show him what the activity of God has been in this. And Melchizedek says to Abram, it is God. It is God Most High who has delivered you and given you this amazing victory. You, might, you see, we didn't, we didn't see the name of God all through this chapter. But God was there behind the scenes. And there'll be times in your life when you don't think about God, but he's there and he's working. And Abram could have attributed his success to his own skill, organization, battle savvy, leadership. Those are secondary causes that certainly played a part. But the primary cause behind every secondary cause is El Elyon, God Most High. And the same thing is true in your life. Every good outcome in your life is a gift of God. Every good thing in your life is a gift of God. Would you see the activity of God? We're looking for the activity of God. Here it is. God has given to you. Just as he gave to Abram this victory, He's given to you what you have. And you may attribute your prosperity or your home to secondary causes. Hey, I went to school. I went to school a lot of years. I've worked hard. I've sacrificed a lot. I, I've, I've made my career. Those are secondary causes. Let me tell you the primary cause. It is El Elyon. It is God Most High. He's given you every good thing you have. And you can, you can uh, say that your situation in life is due to karma or luck, or fate, or whatever. Let me tell you what it comes from. It comes from El Elyon, the God Most High. And he's active in your life because he's given you everything that you have. Right now, your heart's beating. Right now, you're drawing in breath. And you can attribute that to secondary causes of your circulatory system and all that. Let me tell you, El Elyon is giving you every breath that you take, every bite of food that you've eaten, every good thing comes. That's the activity of God. Don't say God's not doing anything in my life. He's providing, he's giving to you. And God sent Melchizedek to say, you need to praise the God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. All right, we're supposed to respond to the, the activity of God. How did he respond? The last part of verse 20, then Abram gave a tenth of everything. Abram tithed, we call it, or gave a 10% of the, the spoils of war that he had gained. He gave a 10% of all the possessions that he had taken away from these four kings, and he gave it to God as an act of worship. Here's the first instance of tithing in the Bible. And we still practice tithing as a way to acknowledge God has given to us 
It all belongs to him, but I'm going to specifically give back 10% to him because it acknowledges that it all comes from him, and I'm indebted to him, and I'm grateful to him for that. Some people say, oh, tithing is Old Testament law, and we're not under the law anymore. And I would have you to see, no, tithing predates the Old Testament law long before the law. It's a spontaneous act of worship. And what tithing is for you is an act of worship to acknowledge God's given me my money and I give portion of it back to him to keep me on track and remembering it all came from him, it all belongs to him, and I give back to him. And I want to encourage you to respond to the activity of God of how he's provided for you. If you've never done that before, maybe this is a call of God to you today to consider becoming a tither, to begin giving 10% of your money to God through his church, as Abram did, to worship him and to keep you on track. Now, I want to encourage you. Now, that's a big step. If you're uh, partway through your life and you've never done that before, I'm going to give up 10%. I want to encourage you to, to try that. I encourage you to go home and talk with your spouse about it. If you're married, I encourage you to consider giving back to God. And here, let me share with you what I encourage you to do with children because that's the easiest way to begin teaching this uh, principle. And I teach this in my class, God, Money, and You, that we offer every year. Some of you won't come to it, so I'm just going to give it to you now. You know, I'm going to give it to you here. Here's what I encourage parents to do. Give your kids an allowance. Give them a dollar a week. If you've got a whole bunch of kids and that's too much money, give them a dollar every two weeks or every month. But don't give it to them in a dollar. Give it to them in ten dimes. Don't give a dollar bill. Give them ten dimes. Go to the bank, get your roll of dimes, count out ten dimes to them every week. Uh, we recommend you start this in first grade. They can handle that basic percentage in first grade. On our website, tr our church website, Train Up, tells you how you can do this with, beginning with first graders. You count out 10 dimes to them every week. Give them, you tell them they're, they're going to give one dime to, the, uh, to God through the church. They're going to put one dime in a piggy bank, and they can do anything they want with the other eight dimes. It'll teach them spending. It'll teach them saving. It'll teach them giving. It'll teach them that every good thing comes from God. And that's what I encourage you to do with your kids. If they get bigger and you want to give them more than that, that's fine. But you can, one dollar can teach them a lesson. And then when they start babysitting or when they start mowing lawns, you require them to give a tenth to God and to save a tenth. You make them brush their teeth, make them manage their money. And uh, it'll be one of the great lessons that you can teach them. Now, I want to say to you that this principle applies not just to money. It's not just about money that God has given us and so we give back to him. He's given you your time. Every day is a gift of God. So are you, are you giving back to him from your time? Are you hoarding that? And he's given you talents and abilities. Are you using those talents and spiritual gifts to serve God? Are you just taking from God? Are you giving anything back to him. Let me tell you about a man named Dr. Paul Brand who was a surgeon, lived in India, made breakthroughs in the treatment of leprosy. And he's a Christian and he wrote with Philip Yancey a book entitled Fearfully and Wonderfully Made in which he used his medical knowledge to compare the cells of the body to parts of the church. You know, the, the Bible says that we're all members of uh, the body and so he talked about muscle cells and he and he talked about blood cells and compared them to how they function for the health of the body and then he talked about fat cells and he said you know fat cells are, are sort of a negative thing for a lot of people you want to get rid of them you know you don't like them but he said oh I see the beauty in fat cells 
He said, fat cells insulate you, keep you warm. Fat cells, he said, cushion your organs from damage. They cushion your kidneys. So whenever anybody gives you any grief about your fat, you just tell them, I am protecting my organs. That's what I'm doing. But he says the main, Dr. Brand says, the main function of fat cells in the body is to be like banker cells. They receive deposits, and then when energy is needed, they give it up. They release that. That fat cells are the banker, the storehouse cells of the body. But he says that sometimes they quit functioning the way they're supposed to be. Maybe you think, oh, my fat cells have quit functioning the way they're supposed to be. But he's talking specifically, he says, there's a thing called a lymphoma, which is a tumor made up of fat cells. And he says it happens when fat cells only receive and they never release. They never give back. And he told of... Uh, uh, a beggar woman that he met in India who was frail and emaciated and malnourished as many beggars were and yet there was this lipoma, this tumor on her that was fat and glistening and healthy and growing larger and larger and larger till it weighed almost as much as the rest of her and he said that abnormality came because those cells had only learned to receive but they had malfunctioned and they would never release they would never let go and he says that is the way that some of us are we receive from God time and money and gifts and we're very good at receiving day after day but we do not realize that part of our function is to release to bless others to give back and we become like a tumor he says on the body man how about you are you receiving and releasing to bless others is God saying anything to you about how you need to respond to his activity of provision well it says in verse 21 the king of Sodom said to Abram give me the people keep the goods for yourself a little different from Melchizedek he no could you not just say thank you we just rescued you your kingdom your family your possessions Give me the people, you keep the goods, he says. But Abram said, verse 22, to the king of Sodom, With raised hand I have sworn an oath to the Lord, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, that I'll accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the strap of a sandal. I wouldn't keep, take a shoelace from you, he says, so that you'll never be able to say, I made Abram rich. I'll accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who were with me to Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them have their share. Now, before we leave this, I want to say just a word to you about Melchizedek because two other passages in the Bible say that Melchizedek is to represent to us to be a symbol of the greatest gift that God has given us. Let me show you those two passages. In Psalm 110, these verses that we just read are quoted. Psalm 110 is the most quoted psalm in all the New Testament. Psalm 110 is a prediction of the Messiah. Jesus quoted it. The, the, the apostles quoted it. Psalm 110 begins, The Lord, that's God, said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So David was speaking of the Messiah. God has said to the Messiah, the anointed one who is my boss, I'm going to make all of your enemies your footstool. Jesus Christ is going to reign over the whole earth. That's what this is saying. The Messiah is going to reign. 
Verse 2, the Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion. Zion is another name from Jerusalem or the city of Salem where Melchizedek was from. It's the same place that this Messiah is going to reign from. Saying, rule in the midst of your enemies. I'm going to skip to verse 4. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The Old Testament priesthood was temporary. The priests of Aaron, the Levites, came with the law, ended with the new covenant. But before them was one who, Melchizedek, who was a king and a priest, and he is a symbol of, a type of, to point forward to one who will also be a priest and a king. And he'll rule forever in the order of Melchizedek. So go to the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews is written to Jews who were hung up in the Old Covenant and living by the Old Covenant. And God's wanting to say to them, Jesus fulfills the Old Covenant. You've got to see that this Old Covenant was preparing you for the Messiah, Jesus. So he goes back to Melchizedek. And he says in Hebrews 6.20, Jesus has entered on our behalf. He's become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Chapter 7, verse 1 Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Now, I, don't, I think Melchizedek was just a human. I think he was a man, but he's just mysterious. He appeared with no, we don't know where he came from. And Hebrews is saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Melchizedek is a type of that. Jesus literally had no genealogy. Jesus literally had no father but the heavenly father. And Jesus is the one who fulfills that priesthood. He predates the Old Testament Aaronic priesthood. Verse 4, just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of the Levi who became priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is from their fellow Israelites, even though they're also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. What the writer of Hebrews is saying is there's something greater than that old covenant. That both Jews and Gentiles, the greatest gift that God has given us is the Messiah, Jesus. And Melchizedek's a figure of that. And when you want to see the activity of God in your life, look beyond your food and your breath and your time and your money and your gifts. The best thing that God has given you is Jesus. He's a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. And even in the story of Abraham, you see a hint of the greatest gift that God would give us. And the response to him is to say, yes, I will follow him. I'll live for him who died for me. So today, I just want to ask you, do you see God's activity that he has given to you? Maybe you're caught up in complaining about what's gone wrong, what you don't have, what you wish you had. Today, would you just say, God, You've been so good to me. I'm alive today. And so I come here to this place. Just as I give a tenth of my money, I give of my time, and I come here. Because I just want to, in your presence, acknowledge you're the source of everything I have. I'll give of my money. I'll give of my time. I'll serve. I'll give back to you. 
because you've lived for me. And the greatest gift that God has given, the greatest gift, even if you didn't have anything else, he's given you Jesus to be a priest forever. And he's there in heaven today wanting to intercede on your behalf. Would you put your faith in Jesus today? Would you say to him right now, I receive that gift. Would you say right now to him, Jesus, thank you for everything you've done in my life. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song of invitation. I'm going to invite you today. You want to respond to the grace of God and receive Jesus. Come down forward while we're singing. Uh, meet me here. Uh, join our church. You can do that right now. If you want to pray, you just want to say thank you to God, I invite you to come and pray here. I'll be at the Welcome Center afterwards. If you want to further continue or you want to, make that, you want to talk about that there, I invite you to do that. Next Sunday, we have baptism. We have about three people who are planning to be baptized. You could join them next Sunday in confessing your faith in Jesus. If today you would uh, come and acknowledge that, sing. Please sing with us. your prayer. He is my heart, Lord. Offered to him today. He is my heart, Lord. Speak what is true, cause I am found. I am yours. I am loved. I'm made pure. I have life, I can breathe, I am healed, I am free, cause I am found, I am sure, the life you've endured, you are good, always true. Breaking through, 
come before you this morning just offering our hearts to you. <clears throat> whatever you need from us, Lord, whatever you want from us, we offer it to you freely. opportunity to uh, vote. There is a ballot in your worship folder if you'll take that out at this time. If you're a member of First Baptist Church, we encourage you to participate. There are two things to vote on there. First of all, we are doing the final vote on electing two men to be ordained as deacons in our church. These were nominated in, by our church back in June, received the required nominations, met the qualifications, agreed to serve if elected, and so now, and of course, they're bio and pictures have been in our newsletter and so now it's the final yes or no vote you're not voting between them you can affirm both of them uh, but both of them must be affirmed by our congregation if they're to be or either one or to be affirmed if they're to be ordained so you can vote yes or no on each of them and then at the bottom of the ballot is the final vote on our proposed budget for the new year that begins September 1st gone through this summer that process and if you've been a part of our church you know about that and this is the final yes or no vote on that and by our bylaws, we're doing that final vote. So if you have uh, marked your ballot and ready, fold it from top to bottom, pass it to either of these aisles, and ushers are coming forward right now, and they're going to pick those up from you. Get somebody to do that in the balcony. Thank you for doing that. While you're passing those in, I'm going to share just a few announcements with you, if you'll give me your attention. Uh, first of all, about our student ministry. Uh, this afternoon at 4.30 is a meeting for incoming sixth graders and their parents. Hope you'll get off to a great start in student ministry. So new sixth graders and their parents or anybody else who's moved here and has a new student come at 
and uh, share with you about mission trips and camps and where everything is and a tour. And then at 5.30, student discipleship begins today. And so that Sunday night student discipleship begins with a meal, have pizza and ice cream tonight, and then a study. So all students, middle school and high school, are invited uh, to come to that. I want to share with you also as you go, I hope that you will give your offerings and tithes to God. We have two deposit boxes on the wall by the double doors as you go, and there are also others scattered throughout our building. Thank you for giving your tithes and offerings through our church to God. It funds everything that we do, and uh, we are, are grateful for your giving. Um, one more thing, we are beginning, we've begun again our invitation and in our worship service just because we want people to be able to come and pray and respond immediately. So we need decision counselors. That's somebody, uh, we need to have a man and woman in each service who's available at the front uh, to pray with somebody or to share with somebody how to become a Christian. So if you, we need some new folks in all three of our services. And so if you would like to be a decision counselor this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, room V201, it's in your bulletin there, uh, will be a 30-minute orientation meeting. What a rewarding ministry to pray with people or to counsel people uh, coming for salvation. And so we encourage you to consider that. All right, did we got everybody? We good? Thank you for, uh, for sharing in that. Let's pray as we go. Hope you'll be a part of a connection group. Go to the Welcome Center if you're new. Right now up the ramp to the left, I'll be there. A greeter will be there. Be glad to get you plugged into a small group Bible study and fellowship together. Let's pray together. Oh, God, thank you for all that you have given to us. And, Lord, we see that you're actively doing that, and we give back to you. Right now we recommit ourselves to, to give of our money, our time, our gifts to serve you. Most of all, thank you for your greatest gift of Jesus. Lord, I just want to pray before we close this morning for people who are hurting there are people who in Haiti today who are far less fortunate than we are. and They've experienced a terrible earthquake. We pray for those families and survivors and that you'll be with them. There are people in Afghanistan. There are a few believers in Afghanistan, not a lot, but there are those. And, oh, God, they're in a tough time today. We pray for the people of Afghanistan. Lord, around the world, there are people who are suffering from COVID. It's, uh, again, made another spike and a variant. And, oh, God, we just pray your mercy upon us as a world. We pray that you will end this plague. And we pray that people will be driven to you through this. But we just ask, Lord, you to help those who are suffering today. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the chance to gather and worship here today. We pray your blessing upon these people as we go. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, amen. He is my heart, Lord. He is my heart, Lord. He is my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Here's my life. He is my.